0: Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: soccer show and a little update from the biggest soccer event happening right now the africa cup of nations 44 games have been played in cameroon and the round of 16 stage concluded this week ahead of the quarterfinals coming up this weekend so now is a pretty good time to check in my name's ryan bailey and listener today you're getting a dynamic duo the other half of that duo quite a lot more dynamic than me graham ruthven hello (laughs) I wouldn't be too
2: sure about that. (laughs) I feel like you're definitely more dynamic than than the Durr
1: Scott on the other end of this line. Okay, I'll say that you're more uh, informative and erudite. How's that? Uh, Okay, I'll take that. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Oh, you took a compliment, Graham. This is a first. (laughs) I like this. We're we're off to a good start. Um, uh, We're doing this show. um, Taylor and Joe are focusing on uh, the CONCACAF World Cup Qualifiers as they should this week, of course. uh, But there's been plenty of. yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, I think, Graham, this tournament, AFCON, warrants uh, us to uh, go through it. There's been some upsets, Absolutely. Some incredible goals, um, a tragic news story. Of course, we're going to talk about this overshadowed the action. Unfortunately, we're going to get to that. But before we do, to set the table out here, do you like this tournament so far, Graham? I'll, I'll, I'll say my bit here. Every AFCON, I feel, it grows on me a little bit more, and I like it even more. It seems... I'll I'll tell you the primary reason, Graham, because... And I've seen this this point made elsewhere, but this seems like international soccer in its purest form. It's, like, close to the spirit of the game. That sounds really cheesy, but what I mean Mm. is it's not sanitised. It's not covered in advertising everywhere. There's no gloss and glamour. It feels real it feels like the fan reactions are real it feels like the passion is real and we see these videos on twitter of, of fans in their relative cities going crazy after victories you know there's loads of upsets here there's smaller nations who are shining i i, I just think i'm really impressed with this tournament so far graham yeah and it, it's
2: been very enjoyable i mean it did start off quite quite slowly Um there were a lack of goals in the initial group stage matches mm. We, we were told to expect that in fairness you know obviously a lot of these teams were coming in completely cold they hadn't had the preparation time that you would normally have before uh an international tournament due to uh covid and the difficulties in getting players across there before the tournament and also just the fact that this tournament is taking place mid-season mid-european season anywhere where a lot of these players are being called up from but it has been very enjoyable and i think you're right it does feel almost like a purer form of international soccer um one of the the, the factors for me in that is that um, you know, with a, with a Euros and a World Cup, those those tournaments are covered to with a, to within an inch of their life, so mm-hmm. there's there's not really a surprise factor, you know, in, in any of the teams or the players, you know everyone and I hope this doesn't come across as me being ignorant, but just purely because this tournament and a lot of African football doesn't receive that, that same level of coverage, there are a lot of games here where I, where I will go in and I, I will not know a lot of the players that I'm watching, I will not know The teams or the managers or how teams will uh you know set up until they start playing and so that feels a lot like what people used to tell me about world cups of the past where there would be there'd be players that you'd never heard of and then all of a sudden there's a there's a superstar born and everyone's talking about this one player and and we kind of have lost that from wider international soccer certainly in in europe i feel so that's quite refreshing in my eyes
1: I never thought about that, Graham. It's kind of old school. And I think about, say, my dad, who was a massive soccer fan, but he wouldn't have known who was on Borussia Dortmund on any given exactly. day. And, like, a kid who plays FIFA knows the whole roster. So it's it's it, 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 is, it harks back, in a way, Graham, to how things used to be. And, and I, I'll admit, I, I'm no expert on AFCON as well, but I have learned a lot watching this tournament, and hopefully we can teach a thing or two in this podcast as well. I think um, you, you make the point there about, uh, some uh, some games which haven't had as many goals. We've had three penalty shootouts in this round mm. of 16. We've had the eight round of 16 games now already. Um, does that tell us anything maybe? Is, is it about parity that tells us? Or, you know, we all have a shootout and they've been good shootouts, but m- maybe some lower scoring games, as you say? Yeah, but I think that's, that's pretty customary for a, a, a knockout tournament
2: anyway. You know, mm. that's how you, it tends to be when you get into the knockout stages. I wasn't particularly surprised that the, the, um, well, I wasn't surprised that Ivory Coast and, and Egypt, end, that ended in a draw. I was slightly surprised that there, there were no goals, literally, in 120 minutes, given the attacking talent, particularly uh, Ivory Coast have, and, and, and obviously Salah on the Egyptian side. We will talk about that game in more depth. I actually think it was quite an interesting game, despite the scoreline. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it was more... The, the, the way the tournament started was an, a greater illustration of outside factors rather than maybe what we're seeing now, which, as I say, is is maybe more in keeping with, with what you would see from a, an international tournament once it moves into the knockout rounds.
1: Absolutely. You're quite right there, Graham. You're quite right. And we will talk about the Ivory Coast-Egypt game a little later on. That, that's the one that's kind of been billed as a blockbuster in this tournament. I don't think it busted many blocks, but we'll get to that when we come to it. Um, <laughs> we we need to start off though, Graham, th- th- this is a celebration of soccer, of African soccer, but it has been overshadowed by tragedy this week. Not long after we recorded our weekend review, um, we had the um, Cameroon Comoros game. There was a stadium tragedy there at Lemby Stadium. At least eight killed in a crush outside the stadium and at least. 38 injured as well. There's video showing um, some some fans being crushed at an entry gate uh, before and leading up to that game. Uh, the BBC reporting two boys, aged 8 and 14, among the victims there. Um, officials saying that around 50,000 people tried to attend the match. It's a 60,000 capacity stadium at Alembe, but um, it's meant to be no more than 80% full because of COVID restrictions. Um, Graham, I, I don't know what else to say about this. It, it is a real, a real tragedy. The game went ahead, um, mm. and curiously, when when you watch the game, there was a a convivial atmosphere in the stadium. It, it seemed that the news of this incident didn't leak to players or to many fans in the stadium.
2: I certainly wasn't aware of it watching this this game because obviously this was the the Cameron Comoros game that. Comoros as we'll speak about later unusual circumstances so I made a a point of watching this game live I certainly didn't hear anything during the game and it wasn't until afterwards I actually thought it reading it it happened afterwards the way it was being reported so I was a little bit shocked that it happened before the game and as you say there the the match had just taken place as as normal and obviously it's a it's a terrible tragedy and I I sincerely hope that action is taken to make sure nothing like this ever happens again obviously we have we have um, unfortunately had similar incidents in, in British football in the past I think the one saving grace from those incidents you know we've had Hillsborough and and incidents at Ibrox and so on in the past the one saving grace has been that changes were made after those tragedies to make sure that, that it, it didn't happen ever again uh, widespread changes you know fundamental changes were made in the way that stadiums are built in the UK and, and I just hope that it seems like this was this was due to a, a a closed gate that should have been opened that the President of CAF has said that's the focus of the investigation. So it's maybe not so much to do with the actual structure of the of the venue itself, but I just hope that lessons are learned because it's 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 heartbreaking to think that people went to a, a football match to enjoy themselves, to support their team, their country, a moment that should have been about celebration and national pride and everything like that and um yeah they they didn't come home from those those match that that match and particularly those uh two young children that you mentioned there as well it's just uh, yeah it's heartbreaking
1: Absolutely. Uh, The quarterfinal between Senegal and Equatorial Guinea this weekend was supposed to be at the stadium. That's been moved away from there. They're actually uh, uh, one of the semifinals and the final also scheduled to be there, and they still are scheduled as we record, but uh, they're they're waiting for the uh, conclusion of a CAF investigation committee before they decide what to do with those. Uh, This was the centrepiece stadium of the tournament, built at a cost of around $300 million. Um, So we'll see how this unfolds. But as you say, Graham, a person should never go to a game and not come home again so our thoughts to everyone um involved in this tragedy uh, we uh, it almost feels and tr- unimportant to talk about the soccer to yeah. be honest graham but we we do have the eight games which we're going to discuss here at this point um there were a couple of games we did talk about on weekend review already we'll quickly go through those including one where one of the potential favorites nigeria uh went out to tunisia one nil here um w- A theme I noticed in the stadium, Graham, questionable bobbling surface of the field. Um, But uh, plenty of action on that field.
2: Yeah, and uh, again, I would just like to apologize to any Nigerians listening for Taylor and I jinxing Nigeria. (laughs) uh, Because just days before this match, we had both said that we thought they were the favorites to win the whole thing. Um, And I would have put uh, good money on them to certainly get through this match it was it was strange watching this match from Nigeria. It felt like they just played within themselves the whole match. Um, the chances just never really came, and when and when they did come, like the the late opportunity for Umar Sadiq, um, he missed it. You know, he, he he gets the he gets played through. The goalkeeper comes slightly out. He gets the shot away. He should probably find the far corner, a net, and it just dribbles wide. And I, I think I said, and we can review when he when he missed that opportunity. You just get a sense that it's not going to be Nigeria's day and Tunisia uh, did a, a very good job of, of taking their opportunity when it came there was a good structure to them it never really felt like they were overwhelmed much in this match and uh, obviously Alex Awobi doesn't help matters for Nigeria mm. uh, either by getting a red card just moments after he comes off the bench I don't understand I understand he he didn't make a tackle as such but he did that thing that a lot of players do where he kind of shields the ball by putting his leg out and stamping it down It's something that I've noticed Paul Pogba does quite often. And I, I just, I, I never really understand it. It feels like you're sort of asking for trouble. You are, I, in my opinion, in a lot of cases, you are endangering an opponent. I think it will be that here. So I don't have much sympathy at all. Um, and that didn't help matters for Nigeria
1: That was a yellow that was upgraded to a red as well So we yeah. had we had some extra drama with the Wobis sending off there Tunisia missing um, seven players through COVID as well And did uh, defend very impressively in this one The other game, Graham, from this would be Sunday These two games took place Burkina Faso won Gabon One uh, Burkina Faso going through 7-6 on penalties Despite Gabon wearing Brazil's colours, Graham <laughs>
2: Yeah, not, not a guarantee of international uh, football success, certainly not recently for Brazil anyway. It's been a while since they actually won one of these uh, international tournament things. But yeah, th- this game in my memory will be the Bertrand Traore game, just mm. because it was very much a, a match that he defined. We saw both sides of his game, obviously someone that we have watched a number of times in the Premier League and in uh, League 1 as well when he was there. Um, and he misses a penalty in the first half from this game smashes the crossbar and that felt like a very Bertrand Traore thing to do. And then moments later, he gets released in behind the the, the back line, the Gabon back line, and he finishes underneath the goalkeeper a, a good moment of quality. And he's also capable of that sort of thing as well. So it's difficult to to know what you're going to get from Bertrand Traore. And then obviously you had the late goal from Gabon and, and stoppage time, which ultimately sends this to, uh, after extra time, of course, sends this to, to penalties. And then you had one of the, the wildest penalty shootouts that I think I have... Uh, <laughs> I have ever seen. It was a very peculiar show because a lot of the penalties were excellent and then some of them were absolutely dreadful and then there were some good saves and then there was some really bad goalkeeping as well so it was a bit of a mixed bag.
1: Five misses, Graham, and a 7-6. That's quite a lot. That's
2: a ratio, isn't it? It is quite a lot. And my biggest (laughs) disappointment is once you get to the 8th and ninth penalty taker, my mind always goes to goalkeepers are coming soon. Goalkeepers are coming soon. And so when you don't, when you fall just short of the goalkeepers taking penalties, that's a disappointment for me. That's all that was missing from the shootout was uh, some goalkeepers taking penalty kicks.
1: Yeah, maybe a Troy had been better at penalties earlier in the game. This wouldn't have been a, a penalty kick kind of, kind of game, of course. You mentioned it was a Traore game. It wasn't a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang game, of course, um, being sent home from this tournament with, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. There's cardiac lesions uh, related to COVID, apparently, but also rumours of disciplinary issues for this one. Um, I presume we feel that Gabon missed him here. You would
2: think so, but I'm not sure uh, (laughs) conventional logic really is working with Aubameyang at the moment. Um, Yeah, it's difficult to know what the truth is about why he was sent home. Uh, Disciplinary problems have obviously been in his recent past as an Arsenal player, so maybe that wouldn't be terribly... uh, Surprising if that was also the case with the international <laughs> team. But yes, in, t- in terms of obviously his individual talent, he is Gabon's most uh, talented player. If he was playing at his best and in a system that harnesses him, then yes, he improves that team. Yeah. But at the moment, there's just no guarantee of what sort of player is, is going to turn up with Aubameyang.
1: We, yeah, we'll, we'll see for the rest of the Arsenal season, that's for sure. Graham, I don't have a team in this tournament. I'm not pulling for anyone, but as always, I pull for chaos and for hijinks. <laughs> and Gabon seemed to have quite a lot of chaos and hijinks in that they they were doing cheeky things. They took a shot from kickoff. Have you ever seen a team from kickoff, the first kick, have a shot? And I'm, I remember at least one other long shot, they uh, speculative long shot they took, and there was like a long free kick as well. Gabon were just trying it from everywhere. I thought it was great.
2: Yeah I I have seen not since they changed the rules so that you could take you can you could have an action from kickoff <laughs> I've not seen that before however I was at a Scotland under 21 game where Chris Maguire um who used to play for Sunderland I think anyway he, the the pass is played to him within the center circle and he he actually scored from like that's the closest thing I have seen for to a, a shot from kickoff but yeah not uh not an NFL style, just sort of boot, punt down the, the pitch from uh, the first action of the game.
1: No, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I love it. I think, what if more teams did that? I think you, you catch them on the way. There was a season when, it was a season when my team Wimbledon were relegated from the Premier League. And it just, I can remember like kicking off after conceding a goal at least three or four times having a shot from the center circle. And it didn't work any of those times, but <laughs> maybe te- teams would do that more often.
2: Yeah, I mean, the problem with this is as soon as one team scores from it, what's, you're going to have the same uh, scenario where you know how you get the sleeper behind the wall now and oh, now yeah. nobody, nobody scores from a low free kick under the wall. All it takes is one person to score from kickoff and then all of a sudden goalkeepers, like opposition goalkeepers, are just staying in their net like from kickoff and they're never getting caught out. So it feels like it could be a one and done sort of situation. I, no, I, it I'm, I'm, once. I'm okay with that. Are you not
1: okay with that? <laughs> Yeah, Okay. Yeah, why not? Let's have it once. (laughs) Let's give it a shot. Uh, Come on, soccer. Give us more uh, shots from kickoff. Uh, Graham, plenty more Round of 16 games to talk about. We'll get to it in just a second after this break.
3: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mac Weldon for sponsoring
0: today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking AFCON round of 16. Graham, uh, let's go with the GG's. Guinea, nil, Gambia, one. <laughs> Maybe two sides here you might not have expected to see in the knockout round. Certainly not Gambia here. Um, in Boofer Sam. Oh, by the way, I've talked about bobbly pitches. This one was the best pitch I've seen. Worst camera angle, but best pitch. Do you agree, Graham?
2: Yeah, and in, in the context of... Uh... Of AFCON. I mean, I, I don't think it was quite the Emirates um, <laughs> or the Bernabeu, but yes, it, it does seem like, look, I'm a, I'm a Scottish football fan. I am uh, very familiar with uh, bobbly pitches, as I would imagine you are, Ryan, mm. as a lower league fan as well. But it does seem like this AFCON tournament maybe doesn't have the best pitches, but this this is maybe the best of a bad bunch, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it certainly stood out in that respect. We had late red cards for both sides in this game, Grant Musabaro of, uh, of Bologna. Um, in Italy got the decisive goal in the 71st minutes one of the tournament's emerging stars Mr barra here so we should keep an eye on him but um, for Gambia Graham this is an incredible run this is I think this is described as an upset win over Guinea uh, their debutants in this tournament they're, they're unbeaten they beat Tunisia in the group mm. stage they're the lowest ranked country at the tournament Our Gambia Graham and uh, they had t- i didn't know this until i read a report afterwards two players pulled out of the game an hour before kickoff with food poisoning as well so they had it all against them and they still managed it yeah i mean
2: they are emerging as as a great story just speaking personally maybe it's, it's different for others that have been following this tournament but i've been more captivated by the stories of like comoros and sierra leone they were the, 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 the stories earlier in the tournament that I was keeping an eye on. And ma- mm. and the Gambia's kind of flown under the radar slightly for me, but now it feels like they are very much the the underdog tale in this tournament. As you say, the lowest-ranked rank, uh, team in the tournament, they've made history even even by making it to this tournament, their first ever appearance at the AFCON finals. Now they're into the, into the quarterfinals. Um, and they took their opportunity here. That's the best way I can describe this performance because... You know, football is a is a strange game. Sometimes uh, Guinea created a lot of chances in this match. I even felt like the Gambia were pretty slack, particularly in the first half and a lot of their play in the centre of the pitch. Um, it got them into, into trouble a couple of times and had Guinea been a, a bit sharper in front of goal, we might have been looking back at this as a pretty careless performance by the Gambia at times. Instead, Guinea missed those chances and that's not the narrative that we have. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange sport. I thought the, the Gambia goal, the, the Musa Barrow goal that um, you mentioned, Barrow, earlier, he takes this so well. It's basically their first and only chance of the whole game. So that's maybe a bit of context And that his concentration, he's had, to, he's, he's not had a lot to do the whole match. He was fairly energetic. He did see some of the ball, but in terms of chances in front of goal, not a great deal for him to do. But when the chance comes, you know, the first touch from Barrow is what makes it. He he takes, uh, he controls the past 20 yards out. He has the awareness to recognise that he's been closed down, a defender stepping out to, to close him down. He, he realises there's a bit of space in behind. He takes what initially looks to be a slightly large touch, but then you realise it's perfectly weighted for him to burst into the box, past the defender, and then he just slides the finish under the goalkeeper. So it was the the one real moment of quality in this game for all the chances that Guinea did have, mm. and the territorial advantage that they had, the, the moment of quality was, was produced by uh, the Gambia.
1: Uh, the assist uh, coming from Bob as well. I did enjoy that. It's kind of like, you know, when you get Brazilian players called like Alan <laughs> yeah, and yeah. things like that. I, I like Fred. Yeah, exactly. And Fred. That's wonderful to see. Um, Guinea sort of, I couldn't quite work out what formation they were doing here. Look, um, Who scored has it down as a 3-1-4-2? I suppose it's a back five. Uh, maybe trying to overload the midfield here, but it did not work for them here, Graham. The Gambia, they've got... Quite a tricky game coming up on Saturday in the quarterfinals, so just the host Cameroon up yeah. for Gambia next. So, so I'm not sure how long this fairy tale is going to go for them. What do you think?
2: Yeah, the the, the hosts, and I believe now with the bookmakers, the the favourites as well mm. now that uh, Nigeria and a few others have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, that that is a tricky one. I do think, even though Cameroon are, I believe they're still the top goal scorers in the tournament, they've obviously had a fairly easy passage through, and as you mentioned, they're the host nation. But it, it does feel like they're... I think we're going to speak about them a bit a bit later on in the pod but it does still feel like they're playing within themselves a little bit so mm. I I wouldn't totally rule out a shock but it it would be a shock if the Gambia were to win that one
1: it definitely would. Why don't we turn our attention, Graham, to the Cameroon game? We mentioned it a little earlier. This was where the tragedy occurred at alenby Stadium. It was Cameroon 2, Comoros 1 in the end here. The victory for the hosts was a little more narrow than they might have hoped when you look <laughs> at the balance of play in this one. And we mentioned this at the weekend, Graham, but Comoros is a tiny island near Madagascar. I think you got um, you you answered the quiz correctly when I t- tested you on that. Um, They're debutants in this tournament as well. Um, and they were famously playing with an outfield play in goal all three of their keepers out of action due to covid and an injury to the main keeper uh, they had their left back um who um so i saw <laughs> let's talk about that graham they had their left back uh-huh. in goal he didn't always use his hands when he maybe <laughs> should have and <laughs> the two instances in particular both the cameroon goals
2: yeah so yeah obviously that's the big storyline from this match was as you say Comoros are playing a full back in goal shakar I a her, Sorry, I've, I've probably uh, murdered that that pronunciation there. But these are not players that I am terribly familiar with. Uh, Comoros, I think it can maybe be forgiven for that. But even even the fact that he, so obviously I know nothing about him as a player. But he is five foot nine. He's a five foot nine fullback. So if you're looking at the lineup of your team, you needed to pick an outfielder to go and goal. Maybe the guy who's under six foot is not, wouldn't be my first pick to go and goal. <laughs> And um some of his saves as I think you referenced there are, are were pretty unorthodox there was a double <laughs> save in particular where it's almost like he trips or falls to the ground and then he go he, he goes for the save with his wrong arm and kind of punches it away while it's on the ground which I have honestly never seen that from a goalkeeper. Uh, they would never teach that to an actual goalkeeper. But then he got back up and he, he makes a double save from the, the rebound to stop the goal. So weirdly, there were some um, instances where he kept the ball out of the net. Um, so yeah, fair play and fair play to, to Comoros in general, because obviously we all thought that this was going to be uh, a heavy Defeat for them, given that they were playing an outfield player in goal. They had COVID cases. As if their situation wasn't difficult enough, you had a referee who showed them absolutely no mercy Mm. by sending off a player after just seven minutes for what I thought was a a pretty marginal call. Um, Talking about that decision, there was something about that decision that made me a bit uncomfortable. And this is a tournament that has faced accusations of home refereeing in the past. And when you take into account that the Tunisian players... Basically, before this match, CAF changed the rules for Comoros. For so the Tunisian players got to test negative and play at the last minute in their game. And then CAF changed the protocols the morning of Comoros' match, which forced players to quarantine for five days. And, uh, I don't know, that feels a little bit... Uh, yeah, shaky to me. And then you have a, a marginal refereeing decision in the seventh minute as well. Mm. Um, so it 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 made Comros' situation even more perilous, but it just never felt like, even when they were down to 10 men, it never felt like they were being truly overwhelmed. No. I think we all expected a bit more from Cameroon. And the fact that they score a goal here, it's 2-1, you know, it's a narrow result. I mean, as I say, fair play, fair play. They did themselves uh, proud and did themselves justice in this one.
1: Yeah, and uh, Cameroon's, uh, sorry, Comoros' goal here from Yusuf Mchang- Changamama, I'm sorry, I, I probably murdered that name as well, a free kick from distance, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think it might be my goal of the tournament, although there's a Morocco game we're going to talk about later, which had a couple of bangers in it as well. But uh-huh. how about that, Graham?
2: Yeah, it was it was a great moment. And when they scored their, their, their first goal, there's a little bit of a, you know, when it goes to 2-1... There's a little bit of a fight back and you think, yeah. no, no way. This, <laughs> there's there's no chance this could happen. And obviously the, the, they don't get the second goal. But the fact that they even put themselves in that situation with like 10 minutes to go, it, like thats that is – Full credit to them because yeah. I don't think anyone expected that. I mean, if they had, if they everything had been in their favour, they'd had a, a goalkeeper in goal. If they had to, eleven men to lose two one to the to the hosts and the favourites to win this tournament, isn't a disgrace. They probably would have been quite proud with that anyway. Yeah, but to do it in the circumstances was quite
1: incredible. Yeah, you're quite right. After the two one, it seemed like they were like peppering the goal. It seemed like they, they were really going. In that last ten minutes or so, you thought, oh. We could have a a, go to extra time here and yet another penalty shootout in this tournament. Uh, Graham, to pick up again on on the goalkeeping, obviously we had a a non-goalkeeper in goal for Comoros here. Is it a bit of a theme to have unorthodox goalkeeping at this tournament? Um, I think we saw some examples of that in the group stage. And going back to the nigeria tunisia game, Mm -hmm. I didn't think Nigeria's goalkeeping was wonderful in that one and as well. I think we've seen a few examples of some questionable shot stopping, or lack thereof.
2: Yeah perhaps um you know I don't I don't know whether that's part of a, a bigger trend or not the, the the strange thing about this game was one of the most um amateur i guess you call it pieces of goalkeeping i saw was in the first minute when Andre Anana who obviously is a high quality elite level goalkeeper you know plays for Ajax uh, is expected i think the, the transfer chat is he's going to Inter Milan at some point and there's a, a shot comes in at his near post and it, and it almost looked like he was an outfield player in goal. And he actually had that in the opening game of the tournament as well. He looked very shaky in the first few minutes. So if I'm an opposition player, if, if I am uh, the Gambia, for example, who are going to face Cameroon in the quarterfinals, I would mm. say get a shot away at Andre and Anna in the first few minutes because he has looked pretty vulnerable uh, in the matches that he's played so far. He does ultimately tend to come on to a game. He's had some excellent saves as well. And there's a great save in this game as well from him. But yeah, shaky to start with.
1: It's, it's surprising from Cameroon's keeper. He's the only player I'm aware of with a Rihanna song named after him as well. <laughs> oh no no, what's my name? Anyway, I um, see.
2: that's <laughs> that's not the actual name of that song. You see, so uh, <laughs> you know, Graham. The, ped, the pedant in me says you yeah, you didn't get that punchline right.
1: <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, as we've mentioned as well, Cameroon Gambia playing this weekend. That does feel like of of the matchups we're getting. That's one I'm definitely going to watch live. It looks like it could be a really good one, Graham. Yeah,
2: it feels like there is potential, uh, banana skin potential in that mm. match for, for Cameron, as, we, as we've said already. The Gambia are definitely underdogs, but it does feel like maybe, the, the given what we've seen from both teams so far in this tournament, um, yeah, it's, it's one that I will be
1: keeping an eye on. Um, so you mentioned in that game some questionable home refereeing, as we call it, Graham. Mm. One, that, link, that segs nicely, I think, into Senegal against Cape Verde here. 2-0 to Senegal against nine-man Cape Verde in the end here. <laughs> um, Cape Verde's goalkeeper, Vosinha, was uh, sent off after um, after a challenge on Saleh Mane, senegal Saleh Mane. Mm-hmm. Um Mane. It was a clash of heads, Graham. It was outside the box. Uh, goalkeeper going for a header with Mane. They clashed. VAR went back and sent off the goalkeeper. Um, obviously a very serious injury and probably the biggest story here is that um, Mane played on in the game and scored the opening goal 10 minutes later then he was subbed off a few minutes later than that uh, holding his head uh, CAF have been rightly criticised for concussion protocol um, mm. and I believe Mane is in doubt for, for Sunday's uh, quarterfinal against Equatorial Guinea for, for Senegal but um, let's go back to that red card I've never seen a red card given for that before. Why is the goalkeeper... Have you any explanation why a goalkeeper gets a red card in that scenario? It didn't seem like he was doing anything Mane wasn't.
2: Yeah, I don't really have an explanation other than obviously there there is that distinction of endangering an, an opponent, which kind of gives the the referee a little bit of leeway in terms of what they can send a player off for. That That's how you... It doesn't always have to be a, a tackle for a player to get sent off. But I, I, I agree with you. It, it felt it felt peculiar um for the goalkeeper to be sent off obviously he's he's just gone for i mean he wins the header doesn't he the goalkeeper wins the i think so yeah yeah so he he heads it away so you couldn't even argue that he's gone in for an aerial clash without any chance of of winning the ball because he he has won the ball ahead of Manny. so there has been um some peculiar refereeing at this at this tournament i think it has been inconsistent is what i would say so sometimes there are, um, there's been decisions like in in the in the the Guinea game, the the they Gam- get the the Gambia game um, where Burrows is, is through and then Kamara comes across one of the defenders and he kind of cleans him out. He's just outside the box, but he does clean him out and the referee just plays on. <laughs> that to me was a red card. But then the threshold for other incidents, particularly for yellow cards, we've seen a lot of double bookings in this tournament. Yeah, and so the threshold feels low in other instances and actually we've had 13 red cards in this AFCON tournament so far which is is, is more than the last four AFCON tournaments wow. combined which is quite incredible and even more incredible given that we're only entering the quarterfinals <laughs> there's still a lot of matches to come so I don't know what the the briefing has been obviously the referees before an international tournament they get they get brought together by the national, by the Confederation, in this case, CAF, and they get kind of told things to look out for. There's always slight changes to the rules. And I don't know what their briefing has been, but it feels very, very inconsistent to me.
1: And, and just before Vazenia, the goalkeeper was sent off well, uh, a lat, half an hour before, the midfielder Patrick Andrade was sent off for Cape Verde as well for a foul on Gauller, uh which was once again a VAR decision. So I wonder if the VAR is just... Um... Maybe just reading a comic book, just saying, yeah, it's a red card. Yes, yeah, about whatever, whatever. They're not even looking at the screen. I don't know what's going on there, but it's it is uh, very monastic. We'll call it Graham. The uh, yeah. the the refereeing standards. And actually, I think the commentator on Bn's feed in this game made comments to the effect of, you know, it's too it's too much. It's against the spirit of soccer. This um this refereeing and it's not letting mm-hmm. fl- not letting the game flow. Too many cards. Uh, I can understand that because it, it does you know, it makes this less of a contest when there's nine men playing against eleven for a good thirty five minutes of this game, Graham.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It kinda of spoils the contest a little bit. I did I did think this was better than Senegal, but obviously when you're playing against nine men for so much of, of the match, it's difficult to sort of gauge where, where they are. You know, where were they better just because they were better or were they better because they were you know, they had a two man advantage for thirty minutes of this match. So it, it does, it does make things difficult from a judgment point of view, obviously looking at the performance of Senegal in this game, they'd, they'd scored just once in three group stage games before that. Right. We had spoken about how they hadn't um, really, they hadn't scored an open play goal because that one goal had come from a, a penalty. And so that was one thing we wanted to see from this match. And, and I do think, again, as I say, it's difficult to make a judgment against nine men, but I do think this was slightly more like it from them. Um, they moved the ball a lot quicker. Yes, there was space to exploit. Yes, they had overloads. But I think Senegal had opportunities like this in their, in their first group stage games, their first three games, and they didn't make the most of them. And, and I thought there was a greater intensity to the way that they played. It was certainly the case that obviously he comes off with a with a head injury before the end of this match. But Sadio Mane certainly, it felt like he was getting into more goal scoring opportunities. Mm. It felt like they were certainly giving him more supply. Obviously he scores the 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 opening goal in this game. Uh, the feed I was watching. On Sky Sports here in the UK, completely missed this goal as it happened. Uh, <laughs> they were bus- they were busy showing a replay, and by the time we came back to the action, the ball was in the back of the net. So uh, I guess at least it wasn't a commercial break, though. We still uh, we still got a, a, a replay rather than <sighs> a, a commercial break. Like I have been told, you're getting in the states, so um, indeed. Yeah, um, but I, I I thought it was better from Senegal, but as I say, repeat myself a little bit, it's difficult to gauge it truly given the
1: circumstances. It is wild that a team is in the quarterfinals of a tournament having scored three goals in total. Uh, we should reflect on yeah. that for a second for sure. Um, but uh, uh, Bamba Dieng, I thought was wonderful. I think you mentioned there, Graham, coming on as a 70th minute sub here. Uh, massive impact. He, he, he uh, Before he scored the second goal, he hit this rocket of a shot that hit the side netting, which I think most of the stadium thought went in. It, it looked yeah. like it was about 200 miles an hour. That shot, that was, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was in. Very exciting from Diang in this game too.
2: Yeah, and there's and there's been a, a number. I think we're probably going to talk about some of our goals of the tournament. I know this wasn't a goal, but just talking about like sledgehammer shots, mm. there has been a lot in this tournament. And had that found the back of the net, that would have that would have been up there as yeah. one of the the most.
1: Uh, eye-catching goals we've seen so far indeed and talking of eye-catching graham kit watch for me senegal if i'm gonna buy any kit from CAF uh, from this tournament excuse me from afcon it's that the green with the lime green trim that's for me
3: yeah
2: yeah yeah i, I mean it's a it's a nice kit it's not a, it's not at the top of my list i have to say but it's it's a nice kit it's got like a nice kind of pattern through it as well through mm. the green doesn't it yeah it's it's a nice one what's the top of your that? list I think top of my list was the Zimbabwe one that oh, um, we had yeah. earlier in the tournament. Yeah. I also had Cape 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 Verde, the, the blue with the, the, the gold trim that they, they wore in this game as well was actually quite high in, in my list as well. That's so, true.
1: That's true. A good kick. I think there's
2: pretty, pretty pretty strong kits across the board, to be honest. Yeah. I, th- I like the Mali one as well with the big eagle on the front of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, some very good stuff on show here. Uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, Senegal will be facing Equatorial Guinea. I think I mentioned that Senegal were my guys to go all the way here, Graham. Yeah, Do you feel you any differently?
2: I feel like your tip might have been better than Taylor and I.
1: Well, it certainly was because uh... <laughs> yeah,
2: you're still in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, Senegal. It feels it does kind of feel like they're Portugaling their way through this yes. this tournament, which is no bad thing. Uh, you know, they they haven't. I mean, they still haven't conceded a goal, haven't they? That's right, because they haven't conceded yeah. a goal in the group stages. Two 0 here, yes. Yeah, so they haven't conceded a goal yet, and. Uh, That's quite a good quality to have in knockout football. So, yeah, yeah, I think your tip's looking
1: quite good. Koulibaly, Mende doing their jobs in the back, we should say, mm-hmm. Graham. Um, let's uh, t- take in one more game before we hit a break. Morocco 2, Malawi 1. Afkraf Hakimi uh, getting one of the goals of the tournament uh, we mentioned yeah. there. Um, an incredible free kick to help uh, Morocco through to the quarterfinals, getting the what turned out to be the winning goal here. Um, the, the, the motto of um, afcon is, if you have a free kick, just take a shot no matter where it's from, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, certainly in the case of... Uh because he's scored two of these in this (laughs) in this tournament so far and I I think just in general obviously in terms of his standing in the club game we all know that he is a a world-class player and I think he's maybe the best player in the whole tournament tournament in terms of his individual talent that we already know of obviously he's a key player for for PSG won the title with Inter last season was great for Dortmund has played for Real Madrid he's got quite the CV but even by that standard I think he's living up to his billing for Morocco in this tournament. I think he's maybe been player of the tournament for me so far. As I say, he's now scored two stunning free kicks. I think the one he scores in this game was even better than the the first one mm. he scored. The just the power in yeah. it, but n- not at the not at the the cost of accuracy because obviously he just finds the top corner here from long distance. So. Um, first one he scored was against Gabon in the group stages. He's now the first person to score two free kicks in a single AFCON tournament since 2008. It's only the quarterfinals, so he uh, could still rack up at least a, a couple more in the next few matches. And it's not just in the goals he scored, I think it's in the way he's been playing in general for Morocco during his tournament. As I think I've said before, he is a, a one-man, one-man right wing. You can leave pretty much everything to him over there, and his mobility and his output. He just gives your team such an advantage. It's on, you know. It's about his right foot when he obviously scores his free kick with his right foot. It's about his left foot. He hits the post in this game with a, a left-footed shot. It's about the way he can go on the outside. It's about the w- way he can come inside as well, and he did a lot of that in this in this match. He was having great success in driving through the middle, sort of Yal Cancelo's style. Um, so I just think he's so good, and he yeah. there have been some big names in this tournament that maybe haven't lived up to expectations, but he he he's almost surpass, surpassing them. Actually, I think
1: he's maybe playing even better than we thought he would. I think he's. It's almost and not no no, no uh, disrespect to Morocco, but he's one band banding it a little bit for them because he is so good for them. I'm I'm I was getting vibes of David Alaba uh, on international duty, just like you know he's in the back, but you know give give it Hakimi and put him uh, put him in the box. Basically, seems yeah. to be a, a lot of what they're doing here.
2: See, I'm getting bail vibes when okay. when Wales were yeah. were obviously good. You know, just basically you have a player who is capable of producing something out of nothing, and obviously he's done that with the free kicks. I think the other big positive in terms of um, individuals from Morocco from this game was, was Yusuf Inneseri who mm-hmm. obviously gets on the score sheet and I know what you're saying about Hakimi being clearly the best player that Morocco have and so much flows through him not just in terms of how they play but also he's the he's the man who makes things happen and the man who also finishes chances so he is by, by far their best player but I think Inneseri has the potential to be one of the best goal scorers at this tournament one of the best centre forwards anyway wow. and this was maybe the first time that we have we've seen that um, he scores the header that levelled things up from Morocco at one-one. A crucial point of the match as well, I thought, because obviously, had they allowed, had Morocco allowed Malawi to hold on to their lead for any longer, then you can kind of get drawn into a bit of a slog slogfest. It's important, I think, you get that equaliser relatively quickly, certainly before half time. And um, I just feel like having Enniseri and Hakimi. Obviously, the goal comes from across from the left, but I think if they can get Hakimi and Enniseri to link up, just Having that relationship together, having those two quality players, that could make Morocco really dangerous in this tournament. Obviously, they're all, they're already really dangerous, but I'm talking about going all the way. If they can get in the serie firing, then Morocco. I think at the moment they're four to one to win the whole tournament. That that could be
1: pretty good value uh, if they can get in firing. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Um, and this was a comeback win for Morocco. Uh, Malawi—they did—they—they they threatened the upset towards the end as well, but they—they they did succumb in the end. They did look pretty dangerous, but Graham, we've talked about goals of the tournament so far. Yeah. Uh, Malawi's opener here from Frank Mungo was. An absolutely rifled, long-range goal. This is my goal of the tournament. I'm, I'm stamping it right here so far. What an incredible shot. It was like one of those ones where, is he going to, he, he's looking up. Is he going to do it? There's four people standing in front of him. He's going to do it. He did it. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It is goal of the tournament. I, th- I think most people would would agree on that. The highlight reel of this tournament will be something else because there has been so many stunning goals. Um, but, this is this is incredible this isn't just one a goal of the tournament this is this is one of the i mean i know we're only in january of 2022 but it, this will be one of the goals of the whole year of, of yep. 2022 Um the way you know he he receives his, the ball with his back to goal. he has a tiny bit of space but by the time he's turned and he's about what would you say 35 yards out at least yeah, at least thirty five yards out from goal. He does have Hakimi pretty close to him. So it's not like he's he's been given so much space. Even if he had been given so much space, he's thirty-five yards out. You know, <laughs> he's got so much to do. But then he just unleashes this unstoppable thunderbolt um into the top corner. An absolutely incredible goal. And it's it's one of my moments of the tournament as well. I think because as well it, it it's scored by like an underdog in this context yeah. of this game as well, I think that makes it just that little bit better because it is truly shocking it's by a player that i didn't know of as well so that's also uh just adds a, l- a little bit of sparkle to it yeah truly memorable moment that
1: uh i've been looking at frank mango's um uh bio graham um mm-hmm. his first team in um, malawi was called the big bullets the big bullets was the name of his first team wow. uh yeah so that's that's I'm quite amazed. a handle isn't
2: it? Yeah. I'm amazed that no MLS franchise has uh, taken that one on. The
1: Charlotte Big Bullets or the Las Vegas Big Bullets. It's, we, it's, if Baltimore gets a team, Baltimore Big Bullets, <laughs> the three Bs, that's what it's going to be. Um, yeah. He And he, his current team is the Orlando Pirates in South Africa. I don't know about okay. you, Graham, but whenever hit, I hear Orlando Pirates, I just think of those like um, crazy golf things that you get in, uh, in in Florida, in Orlando.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Uh, what's that called? Like Pirate Cove? Or Pirate's whatever. Cove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say, when I hear Orlando Pirates, I think of, like, their great kits they've had over the years. I think they've got a really good badge as well, Orlando Pirates. Yeah. And, like, they... Kaiser Kaiser Chiefs as well. Like, they, the two of them always have very good kits and very good, good badges.
1: Uh, but now I may also think of the Crazy Golf in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those, those are good Crazy Golf um, things they got there on, on International Drive. Anyway, Um We'll take a very quick break now when we come back. Let's talk about the blockbuster game of this round, Graham Ivory Coast, Egypt, uh, when we come back.
3: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be
1: Total Soccer Show welcome back. We are talking AFCON round of 16. Graham, the big one on paper at least um was Ivory Coast against Egypt this week. Um Egypt being seven-time champions, they defeated Ivory Coast uh, 5-4 on penalties here. Uh it sounded like a decent atmosphere in the stadium. Um lots of vuvuzelas going off, that's for sure. I'm not going to call this a super high-quality game, Graham, but plenty to to keep you occupied visually, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we all, as you referenced here, we all expected this to be the blockbuster match of the last 16. Certainly in terms of the match-up, it was the one that stood out the, the most, given that these are two heavyweight nations, two teams with uh, a lot of talent, two teams that may be expected to go far in the tournament as well. But I, I think it's fair to say that the match itself was was a bit of a letdown. Um, it wasn't the worst match in the world. It, there were some good moments. I certainly have like quite a lot to talk about from this match, despite the fact there were no goals in 120 minutes, but it, it maybe wasn't as memorable as, as we might have hoped. It, it, it would be as i say there were some nice moments like when marmoush smashed the the crossbar with a yeah. a long range shot in the first half Salah also had a, a decent opportunity and a shot in the in the in the first half there's an acrobatic attempt by sangari as well which he might have done a bit better with he, he certainly had a lot of space in the middle to get on the end of the, the of a cross
1: mm. um that sideways really many... thing wasn't it
2: yeah it yeah. was and and I, I don't know it felt like maybe he he might have been able to do something different with it. Would might have, he have been able to get his chest in a position to to bring that down rather than going for the acrobatic effort? But even with the acrobatic effort, I feel like he should maybe get a bit more power on that. As I say, he did actually have space; there was no one really around him, and there, and there weren't many golden opportunities in this game. But I think maybe the best chance falls to uh, Trezeguet, who who puts a, a shot wide of the far post after a good one-two. It's a it's a tight angle, so even that is not a a I would say a. a a, a true goal scoring opportunity but um it was 120 minutes of play that was pretty much dominated by in terms of the moments by the goalkeepers i thought there was a number of good saves but even then there was there was there were saves that you would probably expect them to make so in terms of attacking quality, it was a bit of a letdown, particularly with Ivory Coast. They have one of the, the best front lines in, in, in the whole tournament, and then mm. you have Salah on the Egyptian side as well. So we might have expected a bit more.
1: Indeed, yeah, certainly in, in terms of goal-scoring quality. In terms of quality on the field, Graham, I've, I must admit I've been a bit sneery about the surfaces, the playing surfaces here. Um, maybe that had a... Does that have a an impact on, on the standard of play? The the pitch was so bad here, apparently, at Jopoma Stadium that there were to be two games... Two more games played here at this stadium, but they're moving them to Yuanda instead because of the playing surface, basically. So I wonder if that might affect the, uh, the the run of play a little bit.
2: Is this is this the pitch in the stadium that um, was the the um, culpable for the Sierra, Sierra Leone equaliser? Is it the same? Is it the same same stadium? Uh, uh, I think yes, it, I think it might have been. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean Ivory Coast must be uh, tired it. of the of this of this venue, uh, given that the pitch was was slightly. Shaky in that first game as well, but yeah. I think it, it it has to have a it has to have an impact on the quality of the game. However, I, I, I don't know. It's it's not always the first thing that I look to, just because obviously stating the obvious here, but it's it's the same for both teams. Um, obviously in a tournament like this as well, it's not like one of the two sides is is more familiar with it. Obviously, if you're a a lower league team hosting a a a big team in a cup competition, you maybe are more familiar with a a, a poor pitch, a poor quality pitch. But that's not really the case in in this game anyway both teams will have will have struggled with it
1: yeah for sure uh, and talk about struggling maybe the the story of this game is Eric Bailly Graham um who <laughs> by, he had a good game he had a good game for for, for all of regular time and extra time but um when it came to stepping up in the penalty shootout he had his penalty save which ultimately um, um cost his nation in in this uh in this contest it it was an interesting technique—the the, the run-up, the slight hop, but not the fully committing to the Jorginho hop yeah. with his penalty taking there. There's there's been some accusations, Graham, that he's he was secret agenting here. He was making it sure for, uh, that uh, Salah can't go back to Liverpool just yet.
2: <laughs> I mean, fair enough. I I I I could understand that uh, <laughs> if that is a. a uh, a order that is coming from from his club. I mean, you're right. Baye did play well in this game, and and he's capable of that in terms of natural ability. He is he's very very he's very talented, and every so often he will have a game that you go. He could potentially be one of the best centre backs in the Premier League. Every so often he puts in a game like this, and as you say, he's he he played well here, but you, there's still that sneaky feeling you get that there's going to be an Eric by moment at some point, and. When he stepped up to the penalty kick and I was watching this one, I I just knew, oh no, this is going to be the moment. And I can't <laughs> I can't recall if I've ever seen Eric Bae take a penalty kick before, but this is exactly how I envisaged he would take a penalty. Yeah. It was a very Eric Bae spot kick where he tries something, but he's not fully sure of himself. He doesn't quite know if he can do it. I don't it doesn't look like he's ever practiced that technique before. And uh, sure enough, he did not pull it off, and it cost his team ultimately.
1: It did, and Mo Salah was the one who made him pay, taking the I'm gonna call it the Ronaldo penalty, the fifth penalty, Graham. Um, I think if you was it Euro 2012, was it Spain, Portugal, yeah, I think where so. Ronaldo that never took right. he never took a, sh- a penalty in a shootout because he was down for fifth, because um, he obviously wants the glory of getting the winning sh- uh, shootout goal, such as the opportunity with taking the fifth penalty. But you know, convention would say put your best players first in the shootout so you get some goals on the board before you get to penalty number 5 but it worked out for Moslera here who combined like power and pace because he's Moslera
2: yeah I, I as a neutral i think i think it's great fun when a player who is the best player of the team takes the fifth penalty but as a, as a manager and as a fan of that team i wouldn't like that at all i'm i'm very much of the opinion just put your best penalty takers first get into a position where you are ahead in the shootout and then take it from there so yeah, I, I am. I don't want to come across as doer, but yeah, I'm not a fan of that. But I, I thought Salah in general in this game had a, had a, had a good match. Um, and we've spoken previously on the pod about how Egypt they weren't quite all there tactically earlier in the tournament. But I thought this was a um, there was a much better tactical balance to their play in this match. There was the usual four three three formation we've seen earlier in the competition. But I thought Egypt were a lot more proactive in terms of their their play out of of possession in particular, Salah, um, he was the one leading the press and he was hassling and harrying opponents, which was interesting because I was reading that Salah has faced some criticism for not doing this enough for Egypt. Basically, Egyptian fans are looking at what Salah does for Liverpool and going, how how come you don't do that for Egypt? Which, as a Scot, we have Andy Robertson, (laughs) we are also very guilty of doing that, and the answer is obviously well, I don't have as good teammates as I do at Liverpool. That's why I don't play the same for the national team. <laughs> but in terms of his, his his play out of the ball, I, I thought it was interesting that Salah seemed to be doing a little bit more. And I was reading an interesting article on how um, Egyptians feel there's now a bit of a disconnect between their national team and Salah. They feel kind of, whereas before he was very much a part of the unit, it almost feels like he gets drafted in as the Premier League superstar to, to join the national team and... I think this AFCON has seen Salah try and prove he's fighting for his country a little bit more and maybe maybe that is just in intangible things. Like in this game he was he was gesturing to his teammates a lot and asking them to get up and kinda just Ging them up and obviously he scores the winning penalty in this game so he's he's maybe made a a cynical calculation there that if he is seen as the the symbol of the win then maybe that is that proves he's fighting for his country again yeah. so he's, he's obviously their best player I don't think I'm not saying that Egyptian fans have turned on Salah or anything but I was just reading an interesting article that says there, there's a, maybe a bit of a growing disconnect there between the the two parties and Salah's maybe trying to bring that back together
1: well, maybe he was trying. Post-match, Graham, in his interview, in his press conference, he said, "Of course, I want to win something with the national team. It's my country. What I love the most. This trophy for me would be completely different. It would be closest to my heart." Careful, Mo. Closest to your heart. You don't want to hear your employers be saying that. Um, <laughs> uh, one, one thing that just struck me when I was talking about the Ronaldo penalty and him taking fifth penalty, Graham. Was Carlos Queiroz, who is manager uh, of the of That's this right. side, uh, I checked if it l- aligned with him being manager of Portugal at the time of Ronaldo taking or not taking the Ronaldo penalty. Uh, the, those timelines did not align, sadly. I was oh. I was wondering if it was a Quiroz thing to say, you know, keep keep it keep your best player till fifth, or whether I don't know, maybe, who does decide the penalty order? I suppose it varies yeah. from team to team, doesn't it? Well, I mean, for Portugal, it's Ronaldo yeah, that it's decides. Or the actually, manager. any any team <laughs> that he plays for, it's Ronaldo.
2: <laughs> that was a bit of a letdown. I thought you were going to say it did a that it was Carlos Queiroz, And I, in my mind, I was like, no, that surely can't be right. So I, I was expecting you to prove me wrong, but... Uh, yeah bit of an anti-climax yeah, though, sorry about NBA. that
1: I, I am an anti in general graham but i was looking for um a pattern there he left in 2011 he left portugal to go to iran in 2011 so maybe he before he left he left a note on the on the on the fridge that said you know let Renato take the fifth penalty if we get to a major tournament knockout game so who knows yeah. <laughs> um any Prescient. more any more on this one graham, before we move on
2: no i think i think we can i think we can move on i think egypt uh We've we've seen a bit more from them now. I'm a bit happier knowing what sort of team they are. I think, as I say, their tactical setup was was better in this game. Ivory Coast, they've they've got a bit of a track record of disappointing in international tournaments, don't mm. they? I mean, in terms of their individual talent, they should have probably gone further. That front line in particular. I know Zaha doesn't start this game, but you know Zaha, Halil, Pepe. It's probably the strongest front line. Then that midfield unit as well. I really like that midfield unit with Kessie and and Seri and and Singari. Um, yeah, a disappointing tournament for them I, I expected to see a bit more But that seems to be the
1: trend with Ivory Coast Indeed Well, on Sunday, Morocco will be facing Egypt uh, A Northern African derby No, they're, they're actually geographically nowhere near each other, I think So let's, <laughs> let's not call it a derby But they are both in Northern Africa Moving on swiftly mali nil, Equatorial <laughs> Guinea Nil is the uh, final game we're going to talk about from this round Equatorial Guinea going through On the third penalty shootout of this round They went through 6-5 on penalties Um... Equatorial Guinea um, a giant killing I've seen this described as Graham yeah. Mali being the big favourites here um, you know they beat Algeria and, and, and Sierra Leone in the groups as well um, a good little run from Equatorial Guinea absolutely and, it, and it's it's uh, again following the
2: theme of there's there's a number of of, of countries smaller countries and I think Mali are, are placed uh, is it 61 places higher than Equatorial Guinea in the world rankings so you you probably expected them that to translate into a superiority on the pitch, but it, it didn't. Even though they did have the the better of the, of the chances, um, but I do think in Afcon in recent years we've seen a number of the smaller countries the traditional smaller countries they th- that gap is is closing mm. you know it very much used to be your your egypt's your nigeria's your cameroons you know your heavyweights would be able to quite easily sweep aside a lot of the smaller nations and in, in the early rounds of the tournament and that that isn't happening anymore and that has to be a good sign for for african soccer as as a whole obviously i I'm often reluctant to talk about African soccer as a whole because it is a giant continent with 55 countries. Uh, To talk about it as a whole seems to neglect a lot of the different uh, factors you have in African football. But I guess as a confederation, if we're talking about CAF as a whole, it has to be a good thing that teams like Equatorial Guinea are making deeper runs in these tournaments.
1: Yeah, definitely. And perhaps the hero for Equatorial Guinea, uh, Jesus Owono, their goalkeeper, making two saves in the shootout as well. There was a VAR check on the final penalty in this one as well, just to add a little bit more spice, which was uh, enjoyable as well. What were they looking for? Do you know what they were looking for? Um, Coming off the line, I think. Right, okay, that that makes sense. That
2: makes sense. I Um, think he was quite clearly on the line. Uh, That seems like a strange VAR decision,
1: but yeah. For once, VAR said, no, leave it alone, I think, which is (laughs) maybe the first time in this tournament, No, (laughs) No
2: no red card.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, um, I, I don't have much more on this game. Uh, they uh, Equatorial Guinea will face Senegal on Sunday. I'd imagine Senegal will be the favourites here, but given the run they've got here, who knows?
2: Yeah, I mean there there is a trend of um, smaller teams kind of absorbing chances created by bigger teams. Um, we've obviously spoken about that with like the Gambia previously. In this round of 16, Hector Oguini certainly did that w- with with Mali in this game. Uh, Am- Amadou H- Hidara has the best chance of the first half. It was a pretty scrappy first half. Hidara obviously being linked with Manchester United. So I wonder now that Mali are heading home, that maybe that opens a window for him to get that, that deal done. There's obviously then a reverse penalty kick decision in this game uh, as well, where you have a penalty decision which is uh, reversed after VAR. Mm. Kamara has a good chance at 56th minute. Um Bissouma I thought had a good game here. So Basically, what I'm saying is, it's, it seems like Equatorial Guinea are quite good at uh, absorbing a lot. And again, uh, a common theme that's a good trait to have in, in knockout football.
1: We shall see. Uh, so, the quarterfinals are set. That game, uh, Senegal Equatorial Guinea, taking place on Sunday. Also on Sunday, Egypt versus Morocco, not a derby. Uh, Saturday, uh, <laughs> it's Burkina Faso versus Tunisia and the Gambia versus Cameroon. And just as a reminder on the schedule, the semi finals will then take place next Wednesday and Thursday. The final is not next sunday the 6th of february graham quite a tournament so far i've as i said on the outset i've enjoyed this very much um any any standout moments for you so far
2: yeah so the the mango goal is my standout moment of the whole tournament because that is such an incredible goal i i thought also you have to mention the the Comoros win over over ghana Mm. because i think that is an all-time afcon Moment and just in general, Comoros defying the odds at their first Afcon, making it into the into the knockout rounds, and then just to add to the the story, the whole uh, outfield player and goal situation <laughs> as well against the host nation, and then only losing 2-1. Yeah, I think in terms of a team, they are my my story of the tournament. Sierra Leone along similar lines. We've obviously spoken about a lot of what that country has faced in uh, fairly recent times. And so to to get the, the late equaliser and the point against Ivory Coast, I thought that was a good moment. Also, just the freak nature of how that goal came about, I thought also made it pretty memorable. So I've got a couple of um, kind of team moments and then, a, and then a, a specific goal there
1: for you. That That's kind of what I remember most of all so far. I'm disappointed you didn't mention the referee blowing up several times for the game as well. That... that
2: is that is also in my my list, <laughs> but I feel like I've mentioned that every time I've spoken about AFCON, so maybe it's maybe it's time I let it go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And um, any any players, perhaps Graham, that you'll see um, emerging and maybe getting a big contract at some point at a at a big European team or something like that.
2: Yeah, so I I went and looked through a lot of the stats here and and try and see. There there are a few players that have have caught my eye, and and I, I tried to look if the stats aligned with. Some of the players that have impressed me. So the first one was the Equatorial Guinea goalkeeper who you mentioned earlier, uh, Jesus Aw- Awono. Mm. Ap- apologies if I must pronounce that, but he's the the hero in the in the penalty shootout against Mali. He's an ex. He's had an excellent tournament so far. Arguably the best goalkeeper in the tournament. Certainly of those that have made the the last sixteen. He's just twenty years old. He is at Alaves in Spain, so he he is quite highly rated, and he is already at a club that would maybe give him a a, a springboard um, into European football. But Nonetheless, a a player that most won't have heard of. Another player that I've um, noted is Martin Hongla for, for Cameroon. He's been an important midfield figure for them in the two games he's played. He has really grown into the tournament. So he he's actually only just started their last two games. Um, he didn't start the tournament and, and the team, but he's got two assists in those two games. Plays for Verona in Italy, so maybe that's someone a, a player that we might see more of in the coming years. And then uh, Pablo Gannett for for Equatorial Guinea, a player I hadn't heard of before this tournament. He plays for Murcia in Spain in the second tier in that in that country. He's been very impressive for Equatorial Guinea in their in their midfield. He scored the goal that sent them through to the last 16. He's a bit of an all-action operator in the centre of the pitch, which I think is uh, is good for a team like Equatorial Guinea, who, you know, not to be ignorant or disrespectful about their quality but they're going to need to fight and dig deep at times so to have someone like him in the center of the pitch has been very valuable so there's three names that before this tournament i'd either hadn't heard of or wasn't very familiar with but they have they've sort of risen during this Afcon.
1: absolutely and i think the one name who's he's not an unheard of player by any means but it's one i mentioned earlier for senegal bumba diang um, yeah. Who is is at Marseille? Uh, he was linked. I think he's still linked during this window with a few Premier League teams as well. Um, but he, he's only 21 years old, and just seeing that impact he came on and uh, and had uh, as a, as a sub in this round of sixteen game. I know it's just one isolated game, and it was 20 minutes. But I was pretty blown away by him. Quite unlike any player that I've seen uh in this tournament so far so i'm excited to see whether maybe this summer or so if if he moves to a, a high, no disrespect to marseille but a, a a higher caliber club maybe um could could you to see wimbledon. that coming to wimbledon <laughs> Well, maybe to Newcastle and he'll be in the championship next year. Maybe that. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. On that note, Graham, why don't we wrap this up? Uh, um, I think that's just about... Oh, one thing I was going to mention is the CAF World Cup qualifiers. Um, yeah. they, there's the spectre of those World Cup qualifiers hanging over these teams as well. Egypt versus Senegal is a big one coming up. These are in March. They're two-legged games in March. Um, and the way CAF does it, there's five games, 10 teams, and the winner of each game um, goes through to the World Cup. Brutal. It's brutal. Absolutely, it's absolutely brutal. Because brutal. when you consider Egypt and Senegal playing each other, both of those teams should be there. Uh, Cameroon, Algeria, Ghana versus Nigeria, uh, the DRC versus Morocco, and Mali versus Tunisia. Once again, Graham, it's a reminder that there are only five CAF places in the World Cup. Is it fifty-four or fifty-five nations in CAF? It's it's like less than ten percent go through, basically, and it just seems pretty bad (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely
2: it's it's completely brutal i also have an issue with when you mentioned there the 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 matchups that you have and some of the teams that are facing each other i mean even if you've got only five qualification spots to hand out there's surely another process that Mm -hmm. can be done that that maybe means we're not having these really high quality teams facing each other so that we're missing out on a lot of those sides i don't know whether I mean, I understand there's 55 nations in CAF, so there, there's a lot of teams. You couldn't have a league table of 55, but I, I don't know whether a, a sort of more of a ball style, where you have larger league tables and you take the the top, you know, you have you you employ more seeding based on world ranking. I don't know. It just feels like maybe there's a better process out there, even though I think we can all agree that. CAF should probably have more than five qualification spots. And that's one of the the few plus sides, I think, of having a larger expanded World Cup, which we're obviously going to have for 2026, is that... I think has it been confirmed yet? But I, th- I think the idea is that Caf's going to get a lot more places, which is a good thing.
1: I believe that is the case, Graham. Yes, but for this World Cup in Qatar, one of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane will be there because Egypt versus Senegal there. But that's the future that's coming up in a couple months' time. Uh, but we have uh, more Afcon games on the horizon. We'll be covering them, of course, on Total Soccer Show. But for now, Graham Ruthven thank you very much for being more dynamic than me in this duo. <laughs>
2: Always a pleasure, Ryan.
1: Indeed. Listener, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon on the feed. But for now, bye!